The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. <clears throat> Looks like we're a small, cozy group this morning. So the topic I wanted to explore with you this morning is dependent origination. How many are familiar with... (laughs) Anybody else? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) That's often how we all feel about it. (laughs) Dependent origination goes by many names... Dependent origination is the uh, most common, but it's also called um, codependent, arising, interdependent, arising, interdependent origination. Um, You get the idea. (laughs) It can be said many different ways, but the understanding, and this is central to the Buddha's teachings, is that nothing happens or arises on its own. Everything arises in relation to everything else. So the Dalai Lama says, we cannot finally separate out any phenomena from the context of other phenomena. We can only speak in terms of relationships. We begin to see the universe as a living organism where each cell works in balance with every other cell to sustain the whole. If one cell is harmed, that balance is harmed and there is danger to the whole. Our individual well-being is intimately connected with all other beings and with the environment. Every thought, word, deed, has implications for ourselves as well as all other beings. We can never know all the implications. We must do each act for itself. Things and events do not exist independently. So this was the Buddha's deep realization the night of his awakening when he saw the comings and goings of all beings according to their karma. He saw how everything arises dependent on everything else. How um, there are so many factors, influences, conditions that go into any event, any phenomena, as the Dalai Lama says, that we can never know all of them. But it's very important for us to understand that there are these myriad of influences that come together at any one time for something to happen. So we could take a simple thing like my being here today, and in a very in the most simple way, Andrea asked me to teach on this particular day, and I said yes, and here I am. That's very simple, very linear, 
And it's the way we often tend to see things, that just this and that happened and here it is. But when we really think about it, there's so much more to it, beginning with the fact that I was born. If I hadn't been born, obviously I wouldn't be here. And then all the influences throughout my life, throughout my growing up, that contribute to my becoming the person I am, which led to my uh, beginning Buddhist practice and continuing on and beginning to teach and etc., etc. And that I got up this morning that I was able to safely drive here and arrive in time to do this. You know, there could have been an accident. I could have been in an accident. I could have been killed on the way up here, and I wouldn't be here. Or there could have been, you know, a massive whatever catastrophe that would have prevented me from getting here. So we begin to see how all these things, things that are seemingly unrelated to my being here, actually are related, actually have an impact on whether I am here or not. So you begin to get the picture that it's not so simple as somebody asked me, I agreed, and here I am. That's just the surface and just a very simple way of looking at what's happening. So there's a very um, basic or simple formula that we use for dependent origination, and it is the, the knowing of this and that. If this is, that is. If this arises or comes to be, that arises or comes to be. If this ceases, that ceases. And that's, that's the very simple um, way of speaking of dependent origination. Or the Pali is paticca samupada. It's also the understanding of how suffering comes to be. And it's generally described in a scheme or a diagram circular with 12 links. And we'll talk about those. But um, in those 12 links is the description of how suffering evolves and therefore how we can become free of suffering. So this teaching, central teaching of the Buddha, he actually distilled uh, into the four noble truths that were what he taught uh, the very first time he gave a Dharma talk. And we know that the four noble truths are the description of suffering and the end of suffering. And this is what 
the Buddha said that he taught simply suffering and the end of suffering. So to understand the idea of dependent origination, we see that there is no beginning and no end. Things are, and things constantly arise and disappear and arise and disappear, and we don't know about a beginning or an end. This, this is how Buddhism differs from theistic religions that talk about a creator god, talk about creation. And Buddhism does not talk about creation and does not posit someone, some being, something that started it all, <laughs> that created um, the world. Everything is arising and passing away continuously. So there is continual change. I was with a couple of friends on Sunday, and one said to me, you know, I'm really beginning to get this Buddhist understanding of change. (laughs) It's a huge one. (laughs) And we see it all the time because things are constantly arising and passing away. We see it moment to moment as well as over time. And we begin to see how everything arises dependent on everything else. Often, there's a misunderstanding of cause and effect. This dependent origination is an understanding of causality or conditionality. But so often we think of cause and effect again as linear. One thing causing another. And that's very limiting. So if we could begin as a society to see the complexity of things and not just the linearity. So one thing that comes to mind is the guilt or innocence of someone. I was listening to NPR on the way up, um, and that made me think of it. Our judicial system says, you know, you're guilty, you're innocent. You did it or you didn't. Without the context, without all the influences, without all the conditions, all the things that went into whatever happened. And so it's very simple, but perhaps not very complete. Maybe not very um, compassionate. Not a way of correcting things or um, helping things to change, but just a black and white. 
It is or it isn't. So this understanding of dependent origination can be understood in terms of lifetimes. It's said that it can occur over three lifetimes, which is a past life, present life, and future life. Or it can occur within this life. The cycle of dependent origination happens in this very life. It also happens moment to moment. And so we can understand it on all three levels. So I had Sue make some handouts. Um, I'm going to give you this one as we're talking so that you can follow the links. Yeah, that's important. (laughs) So I think it's important to say that um, we are part of things arising, particularly in our lives. Our actions, our intentions do have an effect. And it's important to remember that, that, um, that we don't act in isolation, that we don't exist in isolation, that everything we do has an effect. It may be small, it may be large, but it does have an effect. And so from that perspective, it's important to be aware of everything we do and to make choices, to make choices based on whether uh, what we will do, and when I say do, it can be thought, speech, or actions. Um, Will it lead away from suffering, or will it lead to more suffering? And then being willing at those choice points to choose what leads away from suffering. At the same time, it's important to say that we can't make things happen (laughs) because there are so many factors, so many conditions. We can't just will things to happen. We probably all know that because we've tried and it doesn't work. Um, So we do what we can. We make the best choices set the best intentions, and then we let go. Because the result, the effects of what we do, is out of our control. We can't control whether somebody listens to us or not. We can't control whether somebody does what we suggest or what we think is best or not. So we do what we can and then let go. And I think... Uh, in a way, this is huge right now in our world 
because there's so much going on and it's so easy to feel despair, to feel hopeless or helpless and like nothing, nothing we do matters. I hear this over and over again. And yet we must remember that what we do does matter, even if we can't see it in the bigger picture. At the very least, we are not contributing uh, more whatever, violence or suffering or unhappiness. And at the most, even the smallest action can have great meaning to someone. Okay, so in this cycle, circle of dependent origination, there are 12 links. And it's depicted in a circle because each link is influenced by the previous one and influences the next one. Now, of course, it's not so neat as just a simple circle. Um, like Thich Nhat Hanh says, they inter-are. So all of them influence all of the others. But there's some <laughs> meaning to the order in which they're given. So um, let me just name them, and then I'll go back and say a little more about each one. So it begins with ignorance, avidya, and goes to volitional dispositions, uh, sometimes volitional formations, um, sankharas, and then consciousness, and then what's usually said, namarupa, in this case, psychophysical personality, and then the six sense doors, or six, six sense gateways, contact, feeling, and it's at this point, um, feeling or sometimes contact that it's considered, we can intervene. This is the point with our mindfulness that we can make a change and prevent the whole wheel of suffering to continue. From feeling comes craving, from craving grasping or attachment, clinging, <clears throat> from clinging becoming, from becoming birth, and from birth this whole mass of suffering. <laughs> and that's how it's described. This is the schema of this whole mass of suffering. So, a little bit about each one. The first one, ignorance. Ignorance is defined as ignoring or turning away or not seeing clearly not seeing things as they are. Not seeing the three characteristics of existence, the three characteristics being 
that of impermanence, suffering, and non-self. These, these are also a description of um, how nothing has independent, solid existence. Not us and not anything else. We can see that because everything is dependent on everything else, it can't then have a solid, separate existence. So it is also um, a description of non-self. So ignorance, as I said, ignoring or turning away, not seeing clearly, not seeing or understanding the Four Noble Truths. Blindness. And with each link, there is a picture. Because there is a mandala, a diagram, called the Wheel of Life. And the Wheel of Life... You can't really see anything from there... But, (laughs) yeah, wow, it's right. There is a corresponding picture for each link. And so I will tell you the, the picture that goes with the link because it helps to give a description. So the picture with ignorance is of a blind man, someone who doesn't see clearly. And... Remember that these, these links inter-are, they're dynamic, they're fluid, they're not set, uh, they're not solid, they're not set in stone, they are interacting. So the second link, volitional actions, volitional formations, sankaras, these Formations can be mental, they can be speech, they can be action, action with intent, and they create the habits of our body and mind. So the picture that corresponds to volitional formations is the picture of a potter making things, constantly creating things. Then the third link is consciousness, both individual and collective. And in Buddhist understanding, consciousness is seen as corresponding um, to the sense doors. So there is eye consciousness and ear consciousness and uh, nose consciousness, etc. for the five senses and the sixth sense is the mind. Um, and so the consciousness is the, the um, attention uh, to the corresponding sense. So the picture of, that corresponds to consciousness is of the monkey running around. Monkey mind, we talk about. So the monkey is 
busy running around. Then the next one, the fourth one, Nama Rupa, name and form. And this refers to the body and mind interdependence. It refers literally to what we call a human being. In Buddhist understanding, the five aggregates. The five aggregates are what make up a human being. So Nama Rupa is the five aggregates. The five aggregates um, comprising a human being. And the consciousness that goes with those five aggregates. And the picture is a boat full of people. (laughs) The next link, the six senses. The six sense organs or sense doors or sense gates, sense bases which are not different from the body, not different from Nama Rupa, but they're stated um, separately to clarify, just to make it uh, more clear, more obvious. So again, the six sense doors with their objects. So what that means is, the eye and what's seen, and the consciousness that allows us to see. You all know probably that it's quite possible to see things and have no awareness. (laughs) We do it all the time, right? Because our attention is somewhere else. And so the eyes actually take it in, but there's not consciousness because the attention is diverted. So, um, <clears throat> so the, con- the eye consciousness is that the eyes take it in, but the consciousness, the attention, is operating, and therefore we see. Or the same with hearing. Um, the ears hear, and there's the consciousness that allows us to hear what it is that is entering the ear. So the picture is of a house with five windows and a door. The five windows being the five, what we typically think of as the five senses, and the door being the sixth, which is the mind. The mind in Buddhist understanding is the sixth sense. And then related to these is what's called contact. The contact is simply that when a sense contacts something, so when the eyes see something, that's contact. When the ears hear something, that's contact. So all three need to be present. Um, for it to have any meaning. So the eyes take in something. Uh, That's the contact. We see the clock. And then because of the consciousness, 
we understand clock. So it actually takes all three parts. So, um, with contact, it is said, the world arises. When there is the seeing, the contact, and the consciousness, then the world, we see the world. The world arises for us. Without that, we don't see it. So contact is um, very important, very necessary for the sense experience. And the picture for contact is a man and a woman embracing. And then following contact, or almost simultaneously at the same time, there is feeling, feeling tone, vedna. And remember, in Buddhist understanding, feeling does not refer to emotion, which is what we so often use in our society. Feeling refers to pleasant, unpleasant, or neither, or neutral. And it's said that that feeling tone, when we experience something as pleasant, that's what leads to our desiring and our grasping. If we experience something as unpleasant, that's what leads to aversion or to our pushing it away. So this is why it's suggested that this is the most important point for intervention. In other words, if we pay careful attention throughout our day to the feeling tone of our experiences, that's when we can begin to change those mental formations, those habits that we have created. Because without the awareness, we experience something as pleasant. We grasp onto it. We want more. We experience something as unpleasant, we push it away. And it's usually out of our consciousness. It's out of our awareness. We just um, automatically turn away from what's unpleasant and automatically try to get more of what is pleasant, what we like. So if we really pay attention and we see the pleasantness or unpleasantness, usually, of something, then, then we have choice. Then we can say, okay, this is pleasant, but one is enough. <laughs> or this is pleasant, but it doesn't lead to the end of suffering. It will lead me to more suffering. So I will forego that pleasantness. I will forego that desire. Or if it's unpleasant we automatically turn away. But if we're aware and we see, oh, that experience is unpleasant. However, in the long run, that is going to lead to less suffering or that is going to lead to happiness for ourselves or somebody else. Then we acknowledge the unpleasantness, but we go ahead and do it anyway because 
it will have longer-term benefits. So this is why this point of feeling is considered to be the most important point to intervene. Or contact is sometimes understood to be an important point. Um, Perhaps the two together. Some scholars say that you can intervene at any of the points, any of the 12 links. But as I say, feeling is considered the, the most valuable or the easiest. And the picture for feeling tone is a man with an arrow in his eye. Because that's the point where we can get in trouble. <laughs> we go grasping or we go uh, to aversion. We push away. So then the next one, the eighth link, is craving or tanha or, or grasping or clinging. And of course, as I said, that follows the feeling tone. If there's something very pleasant and we want it, then we grasp onto it. We cling to it. Um, Craving is seen in three ways. We have the craving or the longing to become someone. We We may want to not become. In other words, annihilation. We want to not be, not have existence, or we crave to sense desires. We crave for sense desires. And the picture that goes with craving is a man with a pile of gold or um, a man drinking wine. Sense, sense pleasures, taking it all in. So then, of course, that craving leads to the grasping, the, the uh, clinging. The attachment, as we sometimes say, upadana. And attachment or clinging is said to occur in four ways. We cling to sense pleasures. We cling to our views and opinions, our beliefs. We cling to our rites and rituals. And we cling to our self-identity, the I am. And the, the, we know from the Four Noble Truths, we know from the Buddha's teachings, that this is the origin of suffering. It's that clinging, that wanting more and pushing away what we don't want that creates our suffering. So the picture that corresponds to clinging is a man and a woman in sexual intercourse. Or sometimes the monkey that gets his hand caught in the coconut. You know, the monkey puts his hand in um, to get the, the coconut, and his hand, as he opens his hand, it gets caught, and he can't get it out. 
So that, that entrapment of grasping or clinging. Then the next, the tenth one, is called becoming. And this is um, uh, becoming a fixed identity, becoming somebody. I am Burgett. I am whatever. A mother, a grandmother, a teacher, a therapist, da-da-da-da. And that's who I am. And so the picture that corresponds with becoming is a pregnant woman. The next one, the 11th link, is birth. That's pretty simple. Birth, we come to be. And the picture is of a woman giving birth. And then the 12th, the last link in the chain is death or it's often said old age sickness death grief sorrow lamentation and despair the whole mass of suffering and the picture that corresponds is a man carrying a corpse So there you have the 12 links of dependent origination or codependent arising. And I think it's important just to stress, to remember that this is the Buddha's schema for how things come to be, how things arise dependent on other things. So as I said, each, cha- each link in the chain is conditioned by the previous one and conditions the next one, but actually conditions all of them because the first one, ignorance, ignorance conditions, of course, all of the other links in the chain. And all of them can condition all the other links. So let's <laughs> have some time for discussion. <laughs> John? No, I can't. I don't know of anything that's not dependent on anything else. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, I just. Oh, you're recording. I mean, the concept of infinity is not dependent on the other infinities. It's infinity, or even well, the, even the, even the simple concept of one, the number one. Mm-hmm. Is not dependent on anything else. It exists no matter if, whether whether I'm here or not here, or whether the universe is here. It's always going to be one.
that would be one way of seeing it. Uh-huh. But you can't think of it. I can't think, and the Buddha suggested that there wasn't. <laughs> that everything depends on everything else. That nothing is isolated. If you had one, one anything, um, it would only be one, as she suggests, in relation to zero or two or three or five. <laughs> okay, maybe it one, would have no meaning by maybe itself. Maybe one it is not a good example. I, I still think the concept of infinity, something that's infinite, is not really dependent on something else that's infinite. Well, it is. It's dependent on the concept of whatever the opposite of infinity is, limited. There would be no, no concept of infinity if there were not the opposite. So you're saying there's an opposite of infinity? Yeah. Lack of infinity. <laughs> this, this finite world, <laughs> finiteness. <laughs> The Buddha. <laughs> I don't know what you mean. That um, that there that we go from continuing becoming and continuing continued existence. The next uh, sort of spoke or link. Um, I regard the whole thing as a web was the most was what was really worked for me, um, but that I would have thought that f- from becoming and continued existence we would have gone to uh, suffering, decay, and death, and then to birth and ignorance. And mm-hmm. there, I can't make. I don't know why it's bothering me, but I think there's information there for me to understand if I can get why it's that order, because it seems counterintuitive to me. Well, I think it's describing all the things that lead up to us taking birth. And then we die, and then our death leads to, without, if there's not enlightenment, leads back again to ignorance and the whole cycle again. So, of course, I didn't say, but awakening, enlightenment, (laughs) um, would stop this cycle of birth and death, birth and death. Because then we aren't caught. We aren't continuing on the wheel. It's, it's said 
with enlightenment, with awakening, um, we're free of this whole mass of suffering. So we, we no longer come into existence. We no longer take birth, and therefore there's no death. And there's not, in, in the Buddhist scriptures, there's not a lot of description of enlightenment. More so, the focus is on what happens, um, how we can come to awakening, the process, the, the uh, becoming free of this whole entangled mass of suffering. Yeah. Good. So, if you could just kind of correct me if I'm making any, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna try to figure out in my own words what you've been talking to us about here, if you don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, basically, the idea is, is stuff will, stuff happens, you know, and oh, so so things will happen to me. I'm going to make it all about me here. <laughs> and, um, and so, uh, and I'll take this, whatever it is, in in some way, and, and, and then it, what I can do with that information is that um, I can let it scramble around in my brain and make up a big story about it, or I have a choice here of being aware of what I'm feeling because of what I've taken in, and making that, you know, maybe not making a judgment about it, being aware of what is happening is happening around me. But if I make a judgment and then go down kind of maybe not a skillful path, then I, I may make a judgment and say, oh, well, geez, I really would like to have more of this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then that's, where, where, that's kind of the point where I will end up leading to suffering. And mm-hmm. then when I end up suffering, then that is going to make me make maybe poor the next time something happens and then I'm kind of ignorant of a skillful way of letting it happen to me, then it's going to cycle again? Is that... Yes. Is, am I wrong yes. there? No, it's, no. Okay. You're absolutely right. Okay. I yes. guess I just... <laughs> I like to put things in really practical terms yes, here. Yes, absolutely. And, okay. That's, that's the way to deal with the teachings. Okay. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, you know, this is a pretty involved schema. <laughs> um, but if we remember the basic formula, that can be helpful. That if this is, that is, or that comes to be. If this ceases, that also ceases. In other words, um, this and that. <laughs> that depends on this. And without this, that won't be. It's very simple. Or simply, uh, how I like to think of it is that everything we do matters. Everything has an effect, including what we think. 
And um, if we think about that, that no matter how small or how large, what we do does matter. It does have an effect, whether in the short term or the long term, whether we ever know the effect that it has or not. We know that it has an effect. Yeah. Let me read this last bit from um, uh, Christina Feldman, who is a very respected teacher um, at Gaia House in, in England. She said, When the Buddha brought forward this teaching, he was equally concerned with the state of his culture as with sustaining people's minds. Bringing forth this teaching was not only about changing the mind, it was also about changing the world he lived in. Of course, if one gets too attached and ambitious, I am going to change the world. Being disheartened or despairing follows very quickly. If we get the idea that there's something we can do and we must go out and do it. In the Tibetan tradition, there is a saying, do not disregard small misdeeds thinking they are harmless because even tiny sparks of flame can set fire to a mountain of hay. Do not disregard small wholesome deeds, thinking they do not matter. Great oceans are filled drop by drop. So don't disregard any action as not mattering. It does. Whether it's skillful or not skillful, it matters. It has an effect. You know, we say... um, a simple smile. We're walking down the street and we smile at somebody. It's so simple. And you think, maybe no effect. But haven't you heard, I have, people say that one person smiling at them today changed their attitude, changed their perception. Maybe somebody they didn't know. Maybe they'll never see them again. But that smile stays with them. And, and that's such a simple thing. doesn't take much effort. takes awareness, but not effort. And it can have such an effect on somebody. So if we remember that, that, that what we do, uh, uh, likewise, if we scowled at someone, they might remember that too for the rest of their day. So um, when we think that something that that we do or think doesn't matter. It's just not true. It does matter. So hopefully this will be uh, motivation for you to to read more. Um, I have to say, I have done a weekend, I have done a day long, I have heard talks on dependent origination, and when I went to prepare for this talk, it was like, huh? Huh? (laughs) No, it came back, you know, it came back fairly quickly. But 
boy, this is not something that I could give a talk on without notes in front of me. You know, it's just not... Um, it's complex. It's really complex. And you happen to choose it? <laughs> because uh, somebody in San Jose, following another talk, asked a question about dependent origination. What's dependent origination? And um, the person speaking gave a very small answer, and I said, okay, I'll do a talk on it, you know, next time. So... I thought, well, if I'm doing it in San Jose, I think I'll do it here. (laughs) And it's, um, I don't know, I think it's something I never can hear too much about. I get a new understanding or a new, you know, a new wrinkle (laughs) becomes clear every time I hear a talk about it. People talk about it in different ways. Um, I have this writing from Christina Feldman, and she talks about spinning and how we're spinning this, this, um, this circle, this cycle of dependent origination all the time. And can we see the spinning and, and, um, and sometimes stop it? Sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's a healthy spinning, but sometimes it's not, and can we stop it? So... Um, uh, somebody did a day long here I don't know a couple years ago and I sat here and yeah yeah it was so clear you know as long as he was saying it (laughs) Lee Brasington (laughs) yeah of course right (laughs) and then you know to go and speak about it myself without well (laughs) <laughs> it's not easy yeah so it's often talked about in relation to karma which I haven't used the word I don't think but, but that's what we're talking about karma our actions matter that um, nothing happens in isolation I think that's what's important to remember nothing happens in isolation everything happens in relation to something else and seeing that, you know, seeing that, that, um, that it's not just that this happened, but this happened because that happened and that happened and the sun came out and the sun didn't come out then. <laughs> you know, it just, it's such a fuller picture of what is really going on. And I, I have this mental image of the Buddha on the night of his enlightenment when it said, you know, he saw all the myriad comings and goings of, of everyone and all their past lives. And um, somehow I can just picture that, just all happening, you know. Not in the linear way that we so often think of things. That this causes that. Well, that's just a very limited way of seeing what happened. And if we can see it in a bigger totality, if we can look for the bigger totality, if we can look for all the other things that are going on that affect something that happens, um, 
I think it makes life clearer. It makes it uh, uh, richer, much fuller. And it makes it less judgmental. (laughs) When we understand, you know, we are all the products of all the things that have happened to us. If you believe in past life, then in a past life, at least certainly in this life, all the things that have gone on, things that we've forgotten about, things that perhaps we wouldn't even recognize, that all has an effect on how we are becoming now. And then what we do now has an effect on what will be in the future. Again, whether it's a future life or later on in this life or the next moment. Okay? (laughs) Thank you all. Have a good day.